Okay, take your Bibles and turn to Psalm 133. We'll cover another verse in this really lengthy psalm. There's three verses in it. And uh, I was talking with John Hall a while ago and thinking about his job and uh, working on uh, heating and air. Doesn't have to work on the heat this time of year. And I said something about I would hate to be in a 150-degree attic. And uh, he said it was only 130 degrees. So <clears throat> glad to know that, uh, you know, it's not as bad as we thought. But it is pretty bad. I saw a bird today pull a worm out of the ground and then blow on it before he ate it. So uh, things happen, don't they? Hot things happen. Okay, we, uh, I've got my title Dawned on me as I looked at this, and it's a little late to change it. It's not a metaphor we're talking about. It's a simile. So those of you who uh, are uh, English Nazis, uh, get off my case, okay? And uh, we're going to look at there are two similes that the uh, psalmist uses to talk about unity. It's interesting. He talks about the anointing of Aaron, and then he talks about dew on Mount Hermon. Well, we'll stick with Aaron tonight. And uh, we'll try to figure out why he would use that simile for us and why he would compare it. Now, granted, uh, when this was written, the uh, people of Israel probably had no problem understanding these two things. But uh, we'll have to kind of work a little bit more at it because we don't really anoint much of anything. We don't anoint our president. Can you imagine having a president, having a coronation or something like that? It's always uh, been very impressive to me that after our Revolutionary War, George Washington could have been anything he wanted. And yet he turned down power and gave power back. And even after he became president, there was no limit on the terms. But he thought two terms was enough for anybody. And that's when he retired. And up until Franklin Roosevelt, every president followed suit on that. And it wasn't until after Roosevelt had, uh, was elected to four terms that uh, a constitutional amendment was passed to limit it to two. But uh, he was the kind of guy who wanted to give back power rather than take power. So we don't have a coronation. We don't have a, an anointing of our presidents or anything like that. We don't really think like that. But Israel did. And as we have seen in the uh, book of Exodus that there was that time when Aaron was to be consecrated, uh, kind of a coronation ceremony, I guess you would say, to be the high priest. That's when his ministry started. And so uh, they would be very well aware of all of that, where you and I might not be quite as aware and quite as thoughtful of this. And the dew on Mount Hermon is really... Uh, quite interesting. I'm looking forward next week when we can do that because it's not the dew that we have or the dew that we uh, think about. And yet both of these things are compared to unity among brethren. How good and pleasant it is for brothers to dwell together in unity. Now, understanding, as we said last week, that when he talks about brothers, it's not necessarily that he's thinking in a church sense or a Christian sense because the church wasn't born yet and Christ hadn't come yet but he was thinking more of a racial 
and national sense. The Jews as a nation, the nation of Israel when they got along. Now, you can imagine how hard it was and how tough it was when the nation was divided into two nations. Having lived in Berlin, Germany, when Berlin was a divided city, I know firsthand from talking to some people, we went to church with a lady who was actually from East Berlin, and she and her family escaped sometime just before the wall was put up. They still had the border, and it was still guarded, but they uh, had barbed wire instead of the wall. And uh, she escaped. She and her family were able to escape, and she lived in the West. But she had family members over in the East that she couldn't see. And uh, it divided families. There were some people when they closed the border, and especially when they put up the wall, sometimes that wall would go through an apartment building, and uh, people on one part of the apartment building were free. People on the other side were under the communist regime. A lot of family members, a lot of relatives, families divided during that time. It was a horrible, horrible time for the German people. Well, you can imagine that after Solomon died and Rehoboam took over and then there was a civil war and the nation split. Can you imagine what that split was like? Ten tribes of your brothers. All descendants of Abraham are in one kingdom under another rule in another territory. And then in the southern kingdom, they're under another king and another territory. And yet they're all related. So when he says how good and pleasant it is for brothers to dwell together in unity, um, he knew what he was talking about there. It's a terrible thing when your nation is divided. We get a little taste of that when we think about our own civil war and two nations involved in that. But at the same time, even now, we are so divided that it's really not even funny. You don't know when to bring up anything uh, to do with politics or not. You don't know who you can joke with or not anymore. Um, the other day I was at, um, I think I told you this already, I was at Cracker Barrel and uh, it says up there, uh, you know, see the hostess before being seated or something like that. And there was a man there. I started to make a joke and then I thought better of it. Because you don't joke about those kind of things. Because you might open a can of worms you don't really want to open up. And so you've got to be careful about those kind of things now. Because we are so divided. And um, so unity is a good thing, the Bible says. How good is it? Well, our verse tonight says, It is so good that it is like the precious oil upon the head. Running down on the beard, the beard of Aaron. Running down on the edge of his garments. Well, that blessed you, didn't it? Because we look at that and we go, what, what exactly is that and why would it be that way? Well, the key is understanding and thinking about the anointing oil and what it was. You know, a lot of times if, um, well, if somebody asks us, to um, pray for them and ask for the elders to anoint them in a time of sickness like James 5 uh, says. We do that. And I have a bottle of olive oil. It's not really anointing oil. It's not like what they had in the Bible. It's a symbol that we use and we uh, want to be obedient. I've got a bottle of it setting out right now because uh, back last year 
we did that for Bob Hooker and Steve Elkins. And uh, I just haven't been able since Brother Steve's death to put it up. I just leave it right where it was. And uh, reminds me of him. And, uh, but it was different. This anointing oil that they used in this time was different. And where we will take um, a little bit of it and we'll put it on the forehead or something like that. You notice here in these verses, they poured it on. You remember the uh, Brill Cream commercials of a long time ago? They said, just a little dab will do you. Remember that? Well, they didn't put a little dab of this oil on. Notice here how uh, the unity of a nation, the unity of the people of God, said it was like pouring the oil over Aaron. How much did they pour? Enough that it went down from the top of his head, it ran to his beard, and even would get on his garments. So they really poured it on whenever they did this. So here are the things that we want to think about tonight. First of all, I'm keying in on the word precious, precious in verse 2. And I'm making this point. Unity is to be valued. If you've got unity in your church, that's a valuable thing. If you've got unity in your marriage, that is a valuable thing. If you've got unity between parents and children in your home, that is a valuable thing. If a nation is ever really unified together, I think about after 9-11 when all the members of Congress, both parties, stood on the steps of the Capitol and sang, I believe it was God Bless America, uh, that's an unusual thing, but oh, it is a good thing, and it's a precious thing. It's a precious thing when even politically, maybe you have some different policies and different ideas, but the same goal. What is best for the people of the nation? What is best for the security of the nation? Now, I don't think we have that now, but it's a good thing whenever that happens. It's a good thing when we rally together. It's a good thing when a church, the people of God, are fighting evil and evangelizing the lost and they're in one accord of those type of things. That's when great things happen. It is, as uh, it says here, a precious, precious thing. The word precious puts uh, emphasis on the value. It's like the precious oil. Now, this anointing of Aaron symbolized something that was supernatural. You remember back in uh, the book of Exodus, it wasn't Moses' idea that Aaron should be the high priest. It wasn't anybody else's. It wasn't Aaron's idea. This was initiated by God. And so when we are seeing the comparison between the anointing of Aaron and unity of the people of God, we have to understand it's a supernatural thing. You see, you and your depravity will divide from people that you love and get uh, out of sorts with people that you love. You'll get ill with them at the drop of a hat. It doesn't take much. You can get uh, out of sorts with a friend. You can get out of sorts with a pastor, with a Sunday school teacher. With, I mean, it just doesn't take much at all. But whenever we're together, we have to understand that is a supernatural thing that comes from the Lord. And the way that we do that is, whenever you are submissive to the Holy Spirit, and another person is submissive to the Holy Spirit, you're going to get along. 
When you are saying we can't get along anymore, you're saying that the Holy Spirit in me cannot get along with the Holy Spirit in you. And that makes absolutely no sense at all. That's flesh. That's depravity. That's what happens to us when we act like, um, as Paul told the Corinthians that were so divided, the tragedy is they were acting like mere men. Why would he say that? Because we're not mere men. We're not mere humans. We are supernaturally indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God. We have a body, we have a soul, and we also were made spiritually alive when we came to know Christ. And so unity is possible for us in a deeper and more lasting way than the world could ever even imagine because it is a supernatural thing. And that's why we're told to get along. That's why we're told to work things out because in Christ it's always possible to do it. Now, the oil was something that was special. It was precious, we're told here. And we also know from what we read in the Bible it was very costly. It wasn't just any old oil. It wasn't anything cheap. It was very expensive and they poured it out on the head of Aaron and then on his sons so that they too could serve as priests. In the same way, unity is special. Don't ever take it for granted. Unity is supernatural, but I also want to add one more thing to it. It's costly. Costly not so much in the money that we spend, but it's costly in what we have to do. It's costly because... If you're going to glorify God, as you should, there's a price to be paid for that. You may lose friends over that. There are some things you're not going to be able to do if you're going to live to the glory of God. And then there are also some things you're going to do that you don't necessarily want to do and that the world would not applaud because you are living not for yourself, not for the praise of men, not for your own comfort, but for the glory of God. It also is costly because if you're going to have unity, you've got to actually prefer other people. And with that, I think about what Paul said in Romans in honor giving preference or preferring one another. It's one thing just to say, well, I'll just back off and won't cause a stink. Go ahead and do what you were going to do. That might be considered in our eyes giving preference to someone else, but it's certainly not doing it in honor. To do it in honor means you have to yield your rights. And that is one of the hardest things you will ever do. Even a little child will want to say, but I'm right. And there are a lot of you that can't get over the, I'm right, and I'm right, and anything else is wrong, and anyone else is wrong, right? It's hard. And sometimes the Bible calls upon us to die to self, to yield those rights as Christ did. Read Philippians chapter 2. That mind is supposed to be in you and in me as well. And so whenever we are fixated upon meeting our needs and getting our way, and whenever we are looking at other people and kind of pushing them aside or overlooking them or ignoring them or insensitive to them, and then when we are defending ourselves and exerting our rights, unity just disappears. And that brings us to point number two. The psalmist said, It is like precious oil that is what? 
We'll look at three words here. That is, upon the head. Upon the head. Why is that important? Well, we think back to their rituals. What was Aaron before they put the precious oil on his head? Just common, everyday person. Wasn't anything special. Back in Egypt, he was a slave like everybody else. Wasn't anything. He didn't wear special clothes. He didn't have a halo around his head. He didn't walk six inches above the ground. He made bricks. He carried loads of straw. He felt the lash of the whip if he wasn't working fast enough or hard enough. He lived in slave quarters and he ate slave food. There wasn't anything about him. Well, you say, what about after they came out of Egypt? Well, he was Moses' spokesman. And I suppose that was uh, somewhat of an elevation over being a, a slave. But everybody knew he was the number two guy, that Moses was the real guy, and that Aaron, he didn't really have much to say except what he heard from Moses. And then as they're getting the law of God, God on Mount Sinai says, Aaron is to be the high priest. And all of his descendants are going to be priests. And a descendant of Aaron would be the high priest after Aaron dies. But even after God said that on Sinai, I didn't mean that Aaron just, whenever the tabernacle was finally built a year later, that he just ran in and said, this is my domain and I'm, you know, big dog daddy here. He couldn't do that because he had to have the garments. He had to go through the rituals. And one of the things that had to happen was he was anointed for that particular task. They poured the oil on Aaron and consecrated him, set him apart, made him holy and different for the sake of being the high priest. And the psalmist says that unity makes ministry possible because it was when the oil was poured they were able that Aaron and his sons were able to do the ministry. And can I just say, I don't think that even a church is able to minister until they have unity. I think that when we consider what happens whenever a church gets out of sorts when we are disunified when we're not focused upon the Lord then what happens we're just an ordinary gathering we're just like the don't mean to pick on anybody but the PTA or Kiwanis Club or anything like that we're no different it's when we have the supernatural unity of God that makes us different our gatherings are different our purpose is different the power is different our reasoning is different and it all comes when the Holy Spirit anoints us and when we're anointed by that we are in unity together so until this happened to Aaron the priest or the king, whoever they might be, had no authority. They would do this for a king as well. His coronation included the pouring of the oil over his head. Before that, he wasn't anybody particularly. He didn't have any particular authority until he uh, had the uh, anointing of the oil. Just kind of more of a regular people. Even though he might be of the nobility and he might be a prince, but that's different than being king. And so unity, disunity, uh, pardon me, destroys ministry. 
destroys it. But unity enhances it. It's the anointing of God upon a church, upon a fellowship, upon a king, upon a priest, or whatever it may be, depending on which uh, testament you're in. And I thought about that. What is it about disunity that is just so off-putting? Have you ever gone out to eat with a couple and it was obvious they were fighting? It's not very pleasant even if they don't fight in front of you you can cut it with a knife can't you it's uh, if you've ever done any type of marital counseling and a couple is in conflict it's not fun it's not fun to try to work with them if you ever have a time in your home where your children are not getting along or even as adult children they're not getting along it, it makes the Thanksgiving turkey taste different doesn't it it just is not really really good and the same thing is true in a church it just destroys the ministry it destroys uh, people pulling together and focusing upon the same thing because they quit glorifying God wherever there is disunity one thing you can be sure of, there is sin and there is uh, a lack of glory that is given unto the Lord. Think about this. Disunity is off-putting because, well, it's confusing. And we know that God is not the author of confusion. Now, what do I mean by all of that? Well, you can go into a church. Uh, Sammy and I have done this. The first church I pastored was like this. Depending on who you talked in the church, you might talk to one person and they'd say, Oh, Bob over here, man, he's a great guy. And you talk to somebody else and they tell you, Bob is a wolf in sheep's clothing, not even sure that he's saved. And you could hear that in the church. Disunity. There were people that would say one thing. We uh, sat in a Sunday school class. And uh, the Sunday school teacher was saying, what is truth? And this one guy says, well, uh, I think it's like my ancestors. He said, they would worship the buffalo, and to them that was truth. And to me, Jesus is truth. And so I think it's just all about, you know, your sincerity about that kind of thing. I was appalled. Appalled by that in a Baptist church. And there were other people who, of course, would disagree with that. Why? They weren't in unity around the Word of God. And it was off-putting. And they wondered why the church wasn't attracting anybody. They wondered why the church was having so much of a struggle. And it's because, well, nobody was saying the same thing. You could hear just about anything that you wanted to hear. And it's confusing to people when they come into a church fellowship and they hear different things about different people. At that same church, there was a, uh, uh, an electric company in the, in the town, and the, uh, uh, who was it, PSO, Public Service of Oklahoma, wanted to buy the electric company for the, from the town of Chelsea. And the idea was, we're gonna, they said, we're going to come in, we're going to upgrade things, we're going to put in millions of dollars in investments, and you'll actually have cheaper rates, and you know, on and on it would go. And so the town, uh, some of the people thought it was a good idea. Some of the people thought it was a horrible idea. We'd be giving away our revenue and all of that type of thing. And so they had a vote, and this vote, this vote took place just before Sammy and I moved into town. 
And so they had a little newspaper there, the Chelsea Reporter. And I'm looking over and there's the notes and the minutes from the town council meeting and different things like that. And then I opened it up and there's a full page ad. Had a bunch of signatures on it. On it. And it said, do not sell out our town and its electrical system. And I look down at those names and those signatures and I go, that person goes to our church, that person goes to our church, that person goes to our church, that person. I mean, a bunch of them. And I'm, oh, that's interesting. So I look through the next page, you kind of scan it, and then I turn it again. There's a full page ad for the opposite view. One said, don't sell. The other one said, sell. And I look down at the one that said sell, and I go, I know that person, and I know that person, and I know that person, and I know that person. And so uh, I'm going, whoa, what's going on here, man? This is controversial. And uh, I found out that they actually did have a vote on it just before we came. And uh, the vote to sell it to PSO uh, won by like 11 votes out of the entire town. Well, then the people that were against the sale, they took it to court and a judge ruled that the election was invalid. Does this sound familiar? Sounds kind of like what our nation has been doing. So then that threw it back into we had to have another vote and that's the time Sammy and I moved there right at the time they were doing another vote. Do you know it caused division and disunity in the church? Witnessing the people about Jesus became secondary to where do you stand on the sale of our electric company. And we found out while we were there, that same thing would happen if there were a town council meeting. There would be people in the church that were for it and people that were against it, as they would say. And it caused disunity in the church. People couldn't sit together. They would sit on different sides of the auditorium. People weren't singing together. You couldn't get anybody to sing hardly. People didn't want a fellowship. They wouldn't show up for a Sunday school party or a church fellowship. If so-and-so is going to be there, I won't be there. And that's the way things were. And they wondered why the church was not doing well. And everything else would be a reason for division. That kind of thing is tough because when you walk into a church like that, you can actually feel it, and you can cut it with a knife. And the same thing, as I said earlier, when you walk into a house, you can sense the tension in a family. And we all know what it's like when we sense the tension even in the nation that we're in. Well, what is the problem with all of that? It confuses everybody. What are we really all about? What is it that we really believe? What is our priority? What is it that we think the highest of? Well, the town of Chelsea sure didn't know about First Baptist Church. They had no idea. Because all they knew is what they saw. And what they saw was a bunch of people that were angry, upset, frustrated, and fighting with one another over things that seemed to be inconsequential to the calling of the church. It's confusing. Disunity is also off-putting because it grieves the Spirit of God. And the Bible tells us we are not to grieve the Spirit of God. And it also prevents people from bonding. And you know when you don't bond, you're not making disciples. 
When everybody is just an individual and they're afraid to talk or afraid of what's going to come up and they don't really share with one another, then they don't know each other, they don't work together on anything, and it means that new believers are not discipled. And then the worst thing about it is it kind of paralyzes everything. People are not willing to move on because, well, that'll cause trouble. Well, you know what's going to happen. You know so-and-so is going to get upset about that. You don't want to make them mad and all of that. And everything just kind of comes to a screeching halt and it paralyzes everything. And we've been through that as well. Those of you who've been around a lot, it's a tough thing. And it reminds me that in Acts chapter 2, verse 1, it describes what many people believe is the birth of the church when the Holy Spirit came. And it says, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And then suddenly, that's when the cloven tongues of fire come and all of that and the church is set on fire. Isn't it interesting that it's built around their unity? They were there together. They were gathered together. They were praying together. They were in one accord during that time. And then the Holy Spirit blessed them and well the rest is history after all of that. Well the same is true today. God prizes and values unity and we really are not fit for ministry and we're not going to have a ministry until we're anointed by God and anointed by the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit only anoints unified people people that are unified in Christ okay number three unity has a feel and a fragrance now I've mentioned this several times you can feel it when it's not there but you also can kind of have a feel for it when it is there. There's a fragrance to it. It's, it's good. Notice here it's running down on the beard, the beard of Aaron. Now, when that oil is running down off of his head and running down his beard, one thing is for sure, Aaron was able to feel it on himself. He felt it on himself. And there's a feeling whenever unity comes upon people. There's a feeling whenever you are unified with your wife or your husband. There's a feeling when your kids are in unity with one another. There's a feeling when a church is together. There's a feeling. You can just feel it. You can't always explain it, but you can feel it. It feels good. You can smile. You can laugh. You see, when you have unity and somebody cracks a joke, you can laugh at it. But when there's not unity, you're always wondering, what do they mean by that? Where, where, where'd that come from? I, I think I was just insulted. You're always finding something to be offended about. Well, look at our nation right now. I mean, you can't say hardly anything without offending somebody. Somebody's always upset. Somebody's always offended. And somebody's always mad about it. Whether you meant it or not, it's what happens. And churches can be like that in the same way. Aaron felt it. And consider this. Everyone around him smelled it. You think about that oil. What was that oil? Well, let's notice some ingredients here. Exodus 30, uh, verse 22. Okay, now listen to this. And listen to the descriptive words. Listen to the words that describe the oil and tell me if it was fragrant or not. God said... Exodus 30, 22. Moreover, the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, 
Also, take for yourself quality spices. We're not going to use the cheap stuff. 500 shekels of liquid myrrh. Half as much, listen to this description, sweet-smelling cinnamon. 250 shekels. 250 shekels of sweet-smelling cane. 500 shekels of cassia, according to the shekel of the sanctuary, and a hen of olive oil. And you shall make from these a holy anointing oil, an ointment compounded according to the art of the perfumer. Not just anybody does this. It's an art, the art of the perfumer, and it shall be a holy anointing oil. And so you note uh, the quality and the fragrance descriptions on this. They're quality ingredients. They are sweet-smelling ingredients. And they're put together by a perfumer. And I can only think of one reason why you would want a perfumer putting it together. This is high-cost, high-class, sweet-smelling stuff. And when they poured it over the head of Aaron, Aaron felt it and everyone else went... Oh, that smells good. Oh, that smells nice. It was a sweet-smelling thing. And why would the psalmist use this as a simile for unity? Because you can feel and smell, quote-unquote, unity in a church, in a nation, even in a family. There's something pleasant about it. There's something sweet-smelling about it. There's something attractive about it. It doesn't cause you to want to run. It doesn't cause you to can't wait till you get home on that. You want to be together. Unity is a beautiful and wonderful thing. Okay? Number four. Unity spreads and affects the whole body. Now the psalmist says when they pour it on his head and it runs down his beard, it also says running down on the edge of his garment. Now we might call that a mess making a mess out of my clean priestly garments. But the psalmist says, it's precious. It's a beautiful thing. And it reminds us that whenever Aaron is anointed to be the high priest, it's not just so Aaron can have a special experience and walk around being better than everybody else. It doesn't happen like that. The fact that the anointing oil is not just going to stay on top of his head. It's not just a little, a little dot, a little dab. It is poured. And it's not just going to be on, the, uh, on his uh, head and on the sides of it in his beard. It even goes on down onto his body. Onto the garment that covers his body. And it reminds us of the fact that sometimes we may want to fold our arms and sit back and we'll just wait till all the other people in the church, when they get right, then I'll get right. And that's not really what we're called to do. You need the anointing of the Holy Spirit. You need the oil to flow on you. You need the smell of unity to be upon you because when that happens, it spreads and it spreads to other people. The good thing is that unity comes from God. But God doesn't always just go poof and the whole place comes into unity. He usually uses people to call it together to affect, have an effect upon the unity of the church. And there are just some people that you notice that uh, maybe at a fellowship 
birthday party or something like that. Everybody's sitting around and they're kind of talking, but nothing's really happening. And then that one person comes in the room and all of a sudden everything, everything comes alive. Have you ever noticed that in a Sunday school class? Have you ever noticed that in your family? Have you ever noticed that in a church gathering? There are just some people that pull everybody together and they promote unity. And I'm saying tonight, you be that person. Don't wait for somebody else to do it. You be that person. You say, well, what, what's the point out of all of this? When Aaron was anointed, it wasn't just for him. There was an odor. There was a fragrance that spread out. And why would it not only touch every part of him, but affect the other people? Because what Aaron did affected the entire nation. Remember, when he went into the Holy of Holies on the day of Yom Kippur, that day of atonement, he didn't go in simply for himself. He went in for the nation. He went in to put the blood on the mercy seat that the nation might have atonement and be blessed by God. You and I are the same way. In the book of 1 John, it tells us we have the anointing. We don't have to pray for it. It's here. We have it because we have the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is poured out upon us, and the Holy Spirit lives within us. And this fragrance that promotes unity ought to be coming out of us if we are right with the Lord. It benefits us, and it benefits other people. It changed Aaron and it benefited everyone in Israel. And when we walk in unity, we're affected, of course. It changes our demeanor. It changes our outlook. It changes the way we see other people. We're wanting to reconcile, not separate. We're wanting to build bridges instead of building walls. We're affected by that. But our fragrance also touches other people. Now, I've got some scriptures I'd like for you to uh, turn to. And they're on the uh, screen there. In John chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. Now you remember this. This is uh, the time when Jesus is uh, eating. And someone comes up and they pour perfume on his feet. Now, if you read verses 1 through 3, it says, Six days before the Passover, that means it's about six days before his crucifixion, Jesus, therefore, came to Bethany. That normally is a safe place with Mary and Martha, Lazarus, of course. Where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at table. Mary, therefore... This is a different one than what happened before. There was another time he was anointed in a Pharisee's house by a sinful woman. You remember that? This is not that time. This is different. This is separate. Mary, a friend of his, a godly woman, therefore took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. Now look at this, this next phrase. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. Can you smell it? Years ago, it used to be if you drove down I-40, the old elevated cross town, there was a Wonder Bread plant down there. Remember that? And, oh, it smelled good. Well, this is a deal where it's a little bit different. They're not smelling food. They're smelling this expensive perfume. 
there would be something else that would happen when Mary pours this on Jesus. The house is filled with the perfume. What do you suppose the people that were in the house smelled like? All you had to do was walk outside and somebody that had heard about this, they go, you, you were with him, weren't you? You were in there with Jesus when Mary anointed him, weren't you? Yeah. I want to ask you a question. How much do you smell like the perfume of the Holy Spirit? How much do you smell like the perfume, the anointing oil of unity? How much can other people tell that you have been with Jesus? That's what happened when this particular thing took place. Colossians 3. Colossians 3, verse 12 through 14. It's interesting here. Paul says, Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another, and forgiving one another. If any has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. Well, that would promote unity, wouldn't it? But notice he goes on to say, but above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. What is he talking about here? Being bonded together in love, in unity, in forgiveness, in mercy, in grace, in bearing with one another. None of us are everything that we're supposed to be, are we? And yet we're supposed to be in unity. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. Ephesians 4, 1 through 6. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. Well, how's that, Paul? With all lowliness and gentleness and long-suffering, bearing with, that literally means putting up with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the, here's our word, unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There's one body and one spirit just as you were called <clears throat> in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in you all. So why shouldn't we have unity? We have the same God, the same spirit living within us. It's to our shame that we can't forgive. It's to our shame that we hold grudges. It's to our shame that we can't put up with somebody else's inconsistencies in the same way we want them to put up with ours because none of us are perfect. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 2. And walk in love as Christ also has loved us. Well, there's a tall order, isn't it? And given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a, here's how we wrap it up, a sweet-smelling aroma. So I ask you, when God takes a whiff of our church, even tonight, what does he smell? When God takes a whiff in your home, in your family, what does he smell? 
And it's supposed to be a sweet-smelling aroma because we sacrificially lay down our lives for one another as Christ did. And we put on the bond of peace. And we're bearing with one another. And we're forgiving one another. And we're working together because we are focused on one magnificent obsession. And that is to better know our Lord and also to make Him known. And in that regard, it means that just some things don't really matter. Who cares who owns the electric company? It's been decades since we've been at Chelsea. And you know what? The town's going along just fine. People are running their air conditioners. They've got lights on. Everything worked out. But the church, the church is not doing so well. That's a sad thing. And I would like to ask some of those people, they're in heaven now, was it worth it? Was the division worth it? Was getting your way worth it? Was letting the other people know you don't like their way worth it? And I think from heaven they would look down on the church and they would say, oh, for the days, oh, for the days when we had revival, over the days when we didn't let petty things of this world divide us. Over the days when we saw the baptistry used. Over the days when our church had baby Christians in it. Oh, for those days when we loved each other, ministered to each other, served each other. And the community saw the love of Christ in the church. Why does that happen? Unity makes all the difference in the world because it is the precious thing. And unity in our lives, in our families, and in our church, it's the same way today. Unity is what makes the difference because it's like the precious oil that is upon the head and runs down the beard of Aaron even onto his garment, saturating everything that he is and giving him that wonderful smell of the anointing of the Holy Spirit, which is what we need today, which is what we need tonight. And all God's people said, Amen. Father, we pray for that. Forgive us when we can find all kinds of ways to divide, to stay apart, to complain, to point fingers, to get apathetic, to pull away, to hang by ourselves, instead of coming together in the unity of the Spirit for the glory of God. And so, Lord, make our church to be a unified church. Make us to be people who seek unity, who have the smell of unity on us so that we're attractive and so that other people know they can come to us and we can work things out. And may we be a sweet-smelling aroma in our community. May we be a sweet-smelling aroma to our children that are coming up. And we pray for them tonight at children's camp that they would know that they are loved, that they would know that this is a place and filled with people who glorify God. Oh, Lord, save our children. 
protect our children and spare our children from the stuff that has plagued us in the past. Let them know the unity of the Spirit. Father, we pray that as we do this, that we would see your anointing on us like never, ever before, so that Christ is exalted, so that saints are equipped, so that the lost are evangelized, and so that this world is engaged and they don't smell a skunk whenever we come around, but they smell the sweetness of Christ, like that anointing oil that flowed down Aaron's beard and like the unity that is good and pleasant when we dwell together in it. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.